at midnight on the 31st of March, Chapter 2, Section 5. The sun went southward in declining days. The houses in the valley only saw six hours of sunshine in the best of skies. The air was very cold, but still the snow waded beyond its long-accustomed time and left the ground uncovered, rough and brown. The children were distressed, let Christmas come, and find no snow to celebrate it with, and even darker fears were in their minds. Jack Warder, after long and worrying thought, said, Pa, I wonder about Santa Claus, and if he's gone away like everything. I wonder if we'll hang our stockings up, and if we do... He could not finish out a thought so terrible. His father smiled. I don't believe that Santa Claus, my son, is much affected by this little change. I guess he'll be around about the same. But Christmas, to be sure, could hardly be the same as when a wagon load of toys, or nearly that, was purchased at the stores and towns about and brought to Saugersville by parent hands, as eager to give out as little hands to take, where even the poor had some ten-cent store toy, and not a child but had some candy and a stick of gum. So hands must set to work and make the best that head and hands and few materials could manufacture for the Christmas tree. John Herbert, who was quite a handy man and needed milk and eggs and maple sugar, devised a plan to suit this Christmas need. With soft pine wood in plenty and his knife, he set to work to whittle animals and made a Noah's Ark as full of live and antic creatures as there ever was. Then, tiring of giraffes and elephants, he made a farmyard and a barn as well and needed only men to make it real. That led him to the making of a doll, and with a humor half ironical, he carved a pretty girl so much like Gert he sometimes thought she looked at him and laughed. Seeing her, done at last, upon his table, her naked body bright in fresh-cut wood, he suddenly went hot and turned away, and made as though to put her in the fire. But loving well the product of his hands, he threw a cover over her and thought, this lass must have some clothes. I'll find for her couturiers and milliners of style. Next day was lowering as though the sky was resting on the hills above the town. He felt too near the ceiling of the clouds. His heart was bursting out with restlessness. So after dinner of potato soup and bacon and cabbage from his buried hoard, he set out for a walk, stung by the cold that cramped his hands within his tattered gloves. The air was heavy and appalling still, as though it waited some unknown event. He shivered as he walked, and felt again the fear of hostile woods and walling hills that slept behind the still security of day by day, that dulled the sting of fear. He went along the old cart track that led upon the hill's smooth crest, a stretch of land untenanted and bare of trees or brush, a high and rolling sweep, a windy moor, a down that crowned the ridge above the town he saw the road below, a huddled stand of houses set about the small church spires, the stone bulk of the mill, the tiny gleam, the golden eagle on the flagpole top, and quick and dark, the ever-flowing stream, he turned away, but to the north no hills, no blue and distant prospect of the world to tell that even without men there was a country not their own, another land. No hills, no view, no other world at all, but gray and heavy clouds that pressed around as though they too were walls of wilderness, impenetrable to foot as well as eye. And here a panic fear assailed his mind, a terror that was ignorant of what was terrible a blind and sickening thing that reason had no power to smother down. He stumbled on as though the rutted way could bring him out of panic into light, 
he must hurry lest the devil's game. And so like one beleaguered who descries across the plain the flag that brings relief, he saw approaching him another one who fought the darkness of the heavy air and walked in thought and maybe in despair. He saw it was a woman. Soon he saw May Warder's face that was an angel's face that looks down into hell and knows the pain. He drew a breath as though to live again, released from that dark pit he might have found, because here was another living being that looked out on the hills, the heavy clouds, and faced with him the threat of doom and fear. They stood together in an air grown gray, and for a moment's time that seemed as long as all the months gone by since April 1st, they said nothing at all. Above them now, as though this moment was the fated one, long attended till these two were met, there came the silent messenger that fell so still, so soft, so few. They saw it not until May felt upon her cheek its cold, and turned to him just as he turned to her to say the very words in the same breath. It's going to snow. They laughed and felt their hearts rise up with joy as sudden as the snow. Then suddenly the hill and all the field, the town, the stream, the reaches of the road were gone behind the onslaught of the snow that spread about them like a wall of fire. They breathed the snow. Their faces were beset, their eyes encrusted with the clinging flakes, their cheeks turned red with cold and pleasure in it. We'd better go, said John. It's awfully thick. They bent their heads and pulled their collars up against the tickling fingers that crept in. They could not talk, but walked the little road already covered with a scattered white and soon-to-be-obliterate entire. Outside his house, John stopped and said, Oh, please, I wish you would come in. I have something here. I need some help. Come in, I'll show it to you. If there was hesitation, it was joy, and there was none to see. May hastened in. He shut the door behind. Their first deep breath they drew of warmth and shelter from the snow brought them together for a second's time and made them one that sheltered against fear and shut the door upon the wilderness. It was as though someone had cast a stone that disappeared within a darkened pool, but left a movement that betrayed its place. May shook her clothes and held her hood in mitts before the fire that warmed the old black stove. Her eyes were bright, for she at last was here. John told her how he manufactured toys and showed the ark, the farmyard, and the dolls, and drew at last his Gertrude from her shroud. He thought the likeness was for him alone, and if May saw it, she did not remark, but praised the pretty features and the joints that moved the little limbs so gracefully. I'll make her lovely clothes, she promised him, for Mother has a rag bag full of scraps. I'll make her petticoats and hats and gowns. I'll warrant you'll be proud of her. He laughed, and if, you, and if I sell her, you will have your half. We better go in business. We might make ten pounds of maple sugar, or five cords of well-split wood, or anything else we need. They laughed together and the warmth that spread throughout their bodies was a pleasant warmth, and not all generated by the stove. The dark outside warned May she must get home. She wrapped the doll inside her coat with care. He saw her to the road and then turned back and found his little house less lonely now. <laughs>